The problem is, if I want to do the intro for this, I'd have to remember the name of the movie. Um, <laughs> I could not so remember we... <laughs> the name of this thing. <laughs> this is, we talked about this before you got on, too. I, I kept confusing this with uh, Out for Justice and Out for a Kill. And I said to yeah, Aaron... I kept calling this it is like... Out for a Kill every time I was thinking about it. Like, in my head, I was thinking Out for a Kill. No, yeah. that was like several episodes ago. I, I said to Aaron, it's another Out for, right? This is the third Out for. And then he, he corrected me and said, no, it's actually Out of Reach. And I was, you know, <laughs> it's, it's that. The thing was, I didn't even do that. I didn't even confuse with other movies. I just, like, would look up... The movie oh yeah this is the one i have to watch and then like literally go to like pulled up and be like what was the name of it again like i just no part of this title could stick in my head the titles did have you started off these titles didn't mean anything and they've only meant less and less as time has gone on like this means yeah. nothing to me it's just words have, so have uh, you hey, both looked at welcome the to out of oh. our minds the oh. out of or out for film title podcast um you've actually been listening to Stephen c at all uh this week we are talking about out of reach we think it's difficult to remember the title of this. My name is Aaron. My name is Zach. My name is Hans. His name um, is Hans. His name is Hans. Usually, most of the time. <laughs> and the three of you, or the three of you, the three of us, the two of you, have you guys looked at the poster for this movie? Yes. I'm. I'm actually looking at it for the first time right now. Does it? Does he look like a vampire to you too? I didn't have that thought, but now that you this say could it, be I like a shot from like a failed Dracula movie. Yeah, I'm not yeah. Going to disagree with it. Now that you say it, it's like his. They made his face more angular or something for the poster. Yeah. I want to say. Are we putting all these posters in the Imgur, Imager, however you pronounce it, uh, uh, folder? Um, thing? I have. I haven't been, but we could. If we talk about the poster, we could add it in there. That's right. We do talk about the posters pretty frequently. Um, what were you, Hans? Were you going to say something real quick before Aaron did the intro? Just... I already did the intro. I'm going to do the synopsis. We've yeah, no, you can we're, you can just in... cut cut my voice out okay. of that because I was talking over him for a second. And... I just wanted to make sure if it was something important you wanted to say, like you know. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. We'll no, we want to make sure out. that you have the space to say what oh, you think is important. Except Hans. we haven't actually synced. Oh, we have to sync. Wait. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's okay, true. Here we go. Three, two, one. But you can't check your six. It's kind of like, you know, taking a screwdriver to a gunfight. What's happening? Just like old Tom Tom. It's like a Mario Party minigame. <laughs> and we lost to the computer that round. <clears throat> I No, I, I have a, a tagline that Mark, I think it was actually Mark, that gave it to me, but I'm going to save that oh. for when it's when it's my Ooh, intro. Planting it. A tagline. Is your tagline, it's a split second between hit or miss? <laughs> what does that no? have to do with anything? What the? Is that the tagline for this movie? That's what's on this DVD poster. It's a split second between hit or miss. That is it really? That has nothing to do with, <laughs> it I just want to emphasize that that has nothing to do with anything. But the title also has nothing to do with anything. So, okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, okay, so, um, yeah, welcome to Stephen C. at all. Again, I don't know, I'll fix it in post. I'm yeah. Aaron. <laughs> He's Hans. He's Aaron. I'm Zach. Uh, and today we are talking about, this week we're talking about Stephen C., uh, but we're talking about Out of Reach starring some other guy other than Steven Seagal for, like, 50% of this movie <laughs> because, um, I don't know if y'all noticed, but most of the dialogue that Steven Seagal, quote-unquote, <laughs> delivers in this movie is delivered by somebody else. Yep, 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 yep. And I, I would love to know who. I can't find talk, it anywhere in credits. We've talked before about how amazing <laughs> it is. Um, 
with like how many times now in the recent like last four or five movies they're just like ADRing this dialogue and like afterwards like just putting it in a post I think it's pretty funny that now we've gotten to like Steven Seagal isn't even they're not, they can't even get his voice to ADR <laughs> well, in a post they just got another no. guy and it's it's even that in the in the past ones they would wait until he wasn't on screen or whatever yeah. character they were they were dubbing that in over wasn't mm-hmm. on screen they would they would cut to something else and then they would play that voiceover then in this yeah. one it is <laughs> so clearly someone else entirely just like just it's it's like a dub it. it's like a dub except they're not dubbing over a different language <laughs> well so this is uh i believe a polish production yeah a polish most of the film takes place polish in uk poland. yeah most of the film takes place in poland and so i'm thinking like and a lot of the cast are they just too. delivering all this in polish and then dubbing over it in english or but steven seagal can't can't Steven's speak anything Seagal's... other than english <laughs> I highly doubt he's speaking Polish in I don't this. Think so. Like I, I think what's just happening is we've talked before about how he's had these uncredited stunt doubles. Now he just has an uncredited voice stunt double. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, he can't stress the those sul- sultry vocal cords too hard. We're, we're gonna find out uh, that eventually these are just all deep fakes, and he doesn't even show up. <laughs> yeah, like they had to invent deep fakes just to like get some of his direct to DVD. Actually, that's out. don't don't say that because that that gives me some really. <laughs> Like bad. Uh, well, I can't Speak come up with the word. Existence. That's that's something that could actually happen in the future, and I don't like it. Oh no! I think uh, I just I think I just glimpsed a crystal ball there for a second. Imagine yeah, I don't I 50, don't like that. <laughs> imagine if for like our fifty first. Actually, not even for the fifty first film. If for the next, we have to watch fifty more films because even after he passes, they just keep making these with his like face data. <laughs> they keep having these like bad stunt doubles that look like nothing like him, but now they can just put his face in on there. And yeah. we're doomed to do this for the rest of our lives. Um, let's talk about uh, the the plot of this film. Uh, really because actually, Please do, because so I was like, really confused. I actually... So we talked ever. at the very beginning of this how the title of this movie, Out of Reach, makes absolutely no sense. And I kept forgetting the title of the movie. Uh, I kept forgetting everyone's names. It was It was really bad. I didn't really know who was who in this movie. But I did... I could hold on to... The moment to moment, like what is going on, general plotline of this. Yeah. I wasn't as much, and we've been talking about the last couple episodes, just going into like a Zen meditation with these, <laughs> the flow with these movies and just the letting it, letting the images movies. wash over you. I wasn't there, and that so a little bit of my viewing experience going into this. Um, so we've been talking about how I've been watching nothing but Seagal films. <laughs> pretty much this whole time you poor poor bastard (laughs) i i broke that streak a little bit this week good so on yeah that's right yeah you watched great yeah yeah so uh i forget what day that was um so one night this week i watched i got the 4k ultra hd blu-ray of Ingmar Bergman's Seventh Seal, and I watched that and cried. Oh, I didn't even... Oh, you watched Seventh Seal and didn't tell me? I thought you were just going to talk about Polite Society. Yeah, and then the very next day, I saw a cool poster at the local movie theater, uh, the local like university movie theater, and I watched that, and it was Polite Society, which was pretty good. I'm actually... Um, hold on. I'm actually a little upset that you watched Seventh Seal and didn't tell me and didn't share your thoughts on it with me. Well... Because I knew we were going to see each other today, and I was going to tell you today. Uh, so good. 
we have an appointment every week that we sit and we talk to each other for hours. <laughs> an so you actually watch like the cream of the crop, and then also a pretty decent, like funny, like kind of action thriller about like sister. Yeah, and then I watched this, and then out <laughs> of reach. Um, did you have to look at a monitor to remember the name when you just said it there? I did. Yeah. <laughs> but I did just come up with a funny joke out of reach, more like out of breath because <laughs> I can't run that much. More like out of mind. Um, <laughs> but um, but so like I so I kind of ruined myself here. Um, so you you had the same experience now that I it's kind of similar to what I had. A couple yeah. weeks ago where I watched John Wick before one of them. I watched the Bourne series before one of them. Yeah, so I'm, I didn't watch any, it wasn't, there were no action movies in there. Like, Seventh Seal is very meditative. Well, Polite Society is kind of an action one, but also. Polite very, Society is kind of action-y, but it's not an action movie. A very interesting connection there, though, uh, out of reach. I did have to look at my monitor again, out of reach, and <laughs> uh, Seventh Seal both have this, like, chest through line throughout the movie. So, you know, there's a connection there. Hmm. Yes, except in uh, Seventh Seal, it's like an integral part of the story, yeah. and it's used as a symbol yeah. of Max von Sydow's, uh, you know, his dance with death, the dance macabre, which is a major theme throughout. And so he uses the chessboard as a dance with death, his own personal dance macabre. In Out of Reach, characters just play chess with each other. Well, no, in times. Out of Reach, the... The pedophile takes a particular liking to this gal because she's like pretty decent at chess. Not great, but Which like pretty one? At it. So here, okay. So let's talk about. <laughs> let's talk about the uh, this actual movie that we came here to talk about. Uh, we're not talking about old black and white German films, um, but uh, I think isn't it Swedish? It's Swedish. It's a lot of German language. Um, but anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to mansplain. So the <laughs> out of reach. Uh, is about Steven Seagal-ish, uh, as we discussed before, <laughs> who has a pen pal in a Polish orphanage. And so, it's I don't know like how a 13 or 14 year old gal at a Polish orphanage. Yeah, so like a 14 year old girl. It's so out there. <laughs> so he it's is so there, apparently so ex-CIA, ex-some three-letter agency, because of course he is, because he's Steven Seagal. Actually, in this case, it looks like CSA. Okay. Sure, why not? <laughs> um, so at the beginning of the movie, he's like writing back and forth with his his fourteen year old pen pal in a Polish orphanage, um, while the CSA is like hunting him down. I think they're like out, like they're trying to kill him. Like they're retiring. They're like out quote for unquote justice. this agent. I'm sorry. They're out for justice. They are out for justice. It sounded more um, like they were out for a kill. Actually, sounded well, like he was just very out under of their siege. Reach. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a very under siege thing. I hate this. Which I wish I had. Been, I so hate it. Always marked for death. But it was very like under siege. Like a scene that probably should have been an under siege, but we never saw. Was like the agents come and try to take out Seagal to like retire him because he's too good. Uh, but he lives in the wilderness just taking care of animals uh, like that get injured in the woods. Like he heals a hawk's leg and whatever. By spritzing it with the end of a needle. Well, you know. Um, <laughs> Not an injection, just like squirts. He's a professional. <laughs> it's a topical. Uh, 
I'm not a I'm you know I'm not a veterinarian. I don't know how that works. Uh, not like that. <laughs> but anyway, creepy guy, definitely pedophile. Which one shows up? <laughs> shows up at the orphanage, and just like quote unquote adopts like ten teenage girls from this orphanage all at once. Which at first, so in my notes, I have. Do Polish orphanages just allow single men to adopt, like, ten girls at okay, once? Okay, so I do actually think he was... The story there is that he's, like, in charge of, like, this kind of... Yes. They say, like, you know, when you get to 14, you, like, graduate from the orphanage. So he's, like, in charge of this organization that's supposed to, like, resettle the kids. So they supposedly. explain in the movie, like, 45 minutes later... Yeah, sorry. ...that the woman who runs the orphanage is being extorted by this crime syndicate in poland well they're they're turks it's it's a turkish crime syndicate of human traffickers operating in poland uh and so they have this orphanage under their thumb and so they go and like get a whole bunch of young ladies from this orphanage they bring them to their it's a aircraft hangar um where they just, like, take photos of them and stuff. And then, so Seagal gets a letter, like, the last letter from his pen pal, Irena. But it's actually written from the director of the orphanage. I'm trying to do this all by memory. Uh, <laughs> director of the orphanage um, saying that you can no longer talk to her. So he gets suspicious. The, C- the CSA come and try to kill him. He escapes. He goes to Poland, goes to the orphanage. Um, oh, and so like this whole time, and this was, I think this was meant to be endearing. It was actually very creepy. He was teaching her through these letters, like secret ciphers and codes, like how to be a code breaker, uh, like all these different cipher techniques and had something to do with Napoleon, like Napoleon Bonaparte. I don't think that was ever explained. No. Yeah. It's like brought up later on. They're like Napoleon. He was this great general, but some still just saw him as a little corporal. And then it's like not brought up after that. Yeah, but I don't know what that has to do with secret ciphers. Except, can I just say something real quick? I was very concerned for for a bit because Stephen Skull has tried to be like Native American in the past. In this Mm -hmm. like opening, this truly awful, this heinous voiceover. um, Stephen Skull's never done a voiceover narration before, and he still hasn't. But this supposedly (laughs) Stephen Skull like voiceover narration at the beginning is truly awful, um, where he's like reading the letter to her. He is teaching her these ciphers, and he says like, "Oh, and I hope you enjoyed this Native American bracelet I gave you." I was really concerned they were going to make a connection to, like, that he's, like, one of the code talkers or something, or, like, a descendant of, oh, like, no. yeah. I thought they were going for something there. It, that's not brought up again. He just gave her a Native American bracelet, but they don't bring in other Native American imagery at that point after that. No. Uh, but I really thought that was the direct, like, at some point, the direction it was going to head. That, like, didn't, his, his grandpa or his father was, a like, a code, uh, code talker in World War II or something. Yeah. Nope. Never happened. I'm, I was happy about that. Uh, but he has this fascination with ciphers and codes, and so he teaches Irena um, how to do all that. And so I was wondering if this would factor in the movie. It does factor into the movie that she, like, leaves little ciphers behind her as she's being carted around Europe uh, to, like, as, like, breadcrumbs um, in really obvious ways, but whatever. Okay. We'll get to that when we get to that. Um, and so he, Steven Seagal... He runs into, like, the head detective on... So one of the... I'm trying to figure out how this actually went. 
So Steven Seagal visits the orphanage. He leaves. That night, the weird mob boss guy shows up and, like, kills the head of the orphanage by, like, burning her to death. <laughs> Supposedly with a rose. I don't know how that it's actually works. It's, like, a worked. very weird thing. When he comes and, like, abducts the gals at the beginning, he's doing, like, a yeah. bachelor or bachelorette thing where he, like, gives a rose to her. It was very mm-hmm. confusing. And then, yeah, so he's holding this rose and he's, like, burning it while he's, like, monologuing at her and she dies. Yeah. It's Talking trash. about Napoleon and whatever. Yeah. Uh, so he kills the head of the orphanage. Seagal shows up again and is immediately under pl- placed under suspicion by the detectives. Uh, specifically, so. and I'm I'm just going to look at the IMDb to figure out the name of this character. Cassia, who was the lead detective on this case. Sure. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Okay, actually, so, although, sh- while yes. we're looking up character names, I, I'm okay if we just call him Steven Seagal for this whole film, but actually, this is one of the better Steven Seagal character names in this movie. Billy Ray Lansing is <laughs> yes. suspected and investigated by um, Cassia. Yes. Uh, so Cassia is like, hi, you just showed up the day before and the day after this person was murdered, like... I need you to answer some questions. Except they just like immediately become friends. He's never arrested, never placed under questioning, is left like alone in the police dispatch center and is allowed to just like use their computers. Like they invite him over to help with some of the investigations and stuff. He doesn't. Well, they check out his background story. They leave him alone with the computers there. That yeah. to go like call somebody and check out his faked background story. He just magically knows the password to log in. Y- yeah, he looks over at her for like a second and then looks back at the computer and then types in a password and it's like okay. Everything is in English, by the way, in this Polish police station. Yeah. Oh, the and your favorite theme comes up again. All of the money, American, American money. money. Yep. <laughs> of course. Of course it is because in movies it's not money if it's not American money. <laughs> How about the greenbacks? Um, they have they go around and try to investigate some stuff. I really don't know how they know where to go half the time. I was lost uh, on that too. They just going from happen to, to show up at the right place. So yeah, like literally the only thing they establish is that Seagal is kind of following this trail of breadcrumbs that the gal is leaving. That the kidnappers are intentionally allowing her to leave. Like every single yeah. every single one that she tries to leave, they like see it and they're like, okay, yeah, but we're gonna like let her do this, like leave the show on purpose. I don't know how the detectives are getting around. There's also at one point where Steven Seagal goes to like a bar where this woman is with this uh Cassia, and he's just like, I thought I'd find you here, and I had no idea, I could not figure <laughs> out how he thought she was gonna be at this random bar at this time. But so it's pretty much just a whole movie of people showing up at like the right place for reasons i could not figure yeah. out there are only eight uh, places in the world they've got to be yeah. at one of them <laughs> well so the the uh the detect the polish detectives do find like the secret pedophile warehouse uh, because the creepy guy the mob boss that is like the main villain of this movie he ends up killing one of the girls to like make an example of her because she was nervous about being trafficked uh, and wasn't being cooperative. And so he kills her. And so it becomes a murder scene. And I don't know how, like, the next day the detectives know to go there. Um, and so they find that. I'm, I am, like, 
I said I was following this pretty well. Then as I sit here to try and explain it, I'm having a rough time. Because it just skip ahead. It's just they kind of skip ahead. Do There's a lot of back and forth. For like the middle, like, you know, 40 minutes. Yeah. And then eventually the CSA steps in and says that they will, because they want Seagal taken out, they will actually feed information to this Turkish crime syndicate in order to help them take Seagal out because they they both want to do that. Um, they even say they'll turn a blind eye to the trafficking. They'll be like, "I don't, I don't care about your business here. We just yeah. want what's his name, Billy Ray Lansing. Billy <laughs> Ray just Lansing. Want, we just want him dead." So it's... then they end up having a shootout in a brothel. Um, <laughs> I was so, like, so I was kind of waiting this. for. We've gone through this whole movie and it's been very sexless. Like there, I haven't. Yeah. Not that I like want to see, but I haven't seen in this movie any scantily clad women. And then he just walks into this building, and it's just full of women walking around nearly naked. And when we got to that point, um, I remember sitting there thinking, "Wait a minute, hold on, how did we get here?" Because we were like, just we were just in a restaurant, point. and he like had just happened to find this guy that he needed to get information about this restaurant. And the next scene, boom, we're in a brothel. No explanation. Yep. I, and of course, Seagal <laughs> finds the only brothel in um, Poland with a dumb, like kitschy, like fake Asian decorations everywhere. <laughs> it looked like, like it's like the Steven Seagal decorated this <laughs> brothel. Yeah, he like rents a room there that he uses as his base of operations. Well, it's a weird room because like there's this big like painting of a samurai, uh, and the wardrobe has you know japanese characters on it but then there's also a suit of armor which is a winged hussar like that's a polish suit of armor <laughs> that's polish cavalry armor i don't i couldn't tell you i don't know i do uh, i have a little oh. background i think might explain that but we can get into that later okay yeah and then this place happens to have secret passages that aren't so secret are not secret they get found immediately when we actually get to the final <laughs> everyone is just like there. oh yeah of course here's the secret passage yeah yeah, we'll- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and then somehow, oh, that's right. Uh, <laughs> so there's the big shootout in the brothel. He uh, somehow, who knows, finds one of the henchmen. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Finds one of the henchmen, uh, of this, this crime syndicate, uh, at his favorite restaurant. And he uses... Again, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. He uses the (laughs) prostitute that he hired from the brothel to, (laughs) like, seduce this henchman. Uh, And then he, like, roughs him up a little bit and then pays him, like, 20,000 U.S. dollars. Yes, exactly. To tell him. Well, at least 10,000 now. Maybe 10,000 because I like you. I don't know if we can actually find out. Yeah. 10,000. To tell him where the main villain's hideout is, which is like a big giant mansion. Um, it's like the Taj he's... Mahal. Like it's this, it's this human trafficking, like you know. Next. Mostly empty. Um, everything is very like stark white. Um, the, the scenes in that place, though, and like the courtyard in the middle, that's yeah. actually it does look very cool. It's very unlike any other Steven Seagal movie we've seen so far because the the yeah the camera it's... work specifically in that courtyard where they like pan from the top floors down to the bottom where people are walking into the scene actually really good. 
Well, yeah, it, I mean, that. so that building is indicative of a lot of uh, Eastern Europe, which used to be incredibly powerful and rich, and now it's just not. So you have, like, these giant buildings, which aren't doing anything, but they're very beautiful. Uh, and so they can be used for cool things like that. For, for um, cool things like low-budget, straight-to-DVD Stephen Skull films. <laughs> well, the best part of the, the best, wow, like, the most artistic one. parts of these films are done in that building, in that True. courtyard. Um, so then eventually he shows up at the main bad guy's place, uh, instantly recognizes Irena. Uh, this 14 year old girl who he has exchanged letters with and that has never seen a person or seen a photo of. Yes. Um, and just happens to be in the same room as the main bad guy. They then do the classic Seagal move of pointing guns at each other for a second and then agreeing to have a melee fight, <laughs> of uh, which in this case uses swords, kind of, because we had one scene earlier where the main bad guy was fencing with one of his henchmen. Actually, the, the henchman who gets seduced and roughed up and bribed, all in the same scene. It is funny because they specifically show him like using the sword, and there's also a scene of, I can't remember if it's him or like one of his henchmen, but like hitting a... Like a punching bag, but that doesn't. Yeah, that's not relevant. That's just okay. He likes the punching bag. The sword's the only relevant one for the final battle. Yeah. Um. So then they have their final battle. Then Seagal ends up actually like officially adopting Irena. I imagine. Oh, and also he this takes other her kid. back to the United States. Also this other. Boy. Oh, and also this other kid, like this pickpocket kid who helped him find out some stuff. He wasn't uh, trafficked, but he. Uh, he like, he saw the traffickers yeah. at the orphanage. Yeah, he lived at the orphanage. Yeah. Um, and then they're just like hanging out in the woods, and they write a letter fish back over to a the, fire. Uh, the Polish police lady. And then it ends with the back. absolute worst freeze frame of that hawk that he saved at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> <Freeze> <laughs> frame. It's just like both at fifty percent opacity. It's I think the worst singular still image I've ever seen end a film. Without debate, <laughs> it was pretty great. Just um, picture the like, the "Don't movie. you forget about me?" Like fist pump when it freezes. Except half it, of the yeah. screen is Steven Skull's face, the other half is this random hawk. <laughs> so when it free when it froze on the hawk at the end, like that's that's very funny. And then Skull's <laughs> face, <laughs> like what? And I lost it. Why? <laughs> Why? No, why? Please, no. I was waiting for, like, the words in memoriam. (laughs) Billy Ray Lansing had to go back to his home planet. (laughs) But, um, I don't know. I I remember in some of these early episodes, whoever gave the synopsis at the end of the synopsis would ask, what are your general impressions of this movie? This this one... uh, So, you you know when you're... you're, uh, you know when you're sitting with a bunch of buddies in the same room and you're all maybe having some drinks and throwing out stupid ideas or something. Yeah. That's that's how this movie feels to me. I do that every like, Wednesday night when we record this. It's it's like a it's like a stream of consciousness thing. Someone said, "Oh yeah," and then they can go, yes. ba- you know, then we'll go back and cut back to the the guys and oh, they're fencing because that would be really cool and then and oh then yeah, we'll cut back to Segal and then, you know, it it's the the really drunk guy's turn to say what happens next and he says oh yeah and then they go to this brothel and the other guys are like but how do they how does that fit in he's like oh don't worry about it we'll figure it out i i don't know the whole movie struck me as this really like 
that's the best way I can put it. This stream of consciousness, like, oh yeah, then they do this. Oh yeah, then they do this. Oh yeah, then they I think do that's this. A pretty and good way to explain it. Really. None, none of those pieces really connect at all. It just kind of happens to you, and it's. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, in my spoiler, spoiler alert, I already did my letterbox review for this one, and that was how I summed it up: was just, just, ju- just dumb jerks doing nothing that matters until you get one passable <laughs> gunfight, and then an incredibly weird pseudo samurai showdown with a chess-loving pedophile. Because it's just <laughs> things happening and people doing things for, like, the first hour of this movie. And it doesn't matter. Yeah, so, okay, I want to talk about uh, the... We're skipping, like, really far ahead, but there's yeah. almost nothing of worth to talk about in the first hour of this movie. I've got some notes, uh, but, but we can skip ahead. Uh, yeah. But the shootout in the brothel... Yes. Oh, okay, like, never mind. That's what started. I wanted to talk about. <laughs> the shootout started, and I thought, have we... Is this the first, like... In a Seagal film, this is the first, like, shootout scene, and we're, like, an hour into this movie. Yeah, my note there is, finally, something's happening. That's, like, the <laughs> first note that I wrote down when the shootout started. So, my thing about the shootout scene, it's well, it, it all falls in line with what I said before, because it's a shootout scene for the... Like, it, it's like someone making the movie, someone writing the movie had the exact same thought that you just said. That it's like, we're an hour in, we gotta have something happen. And that's that became the shootout scene. Like it, it happened because it had to happen. There was no, like nothing in the story, if, if they could be called that, of this movie so far led to this being a shootout, except for that the script said that it is. Well, and even the way it was filmed, it's literally it's not even a film shootout. It's just almost a like a montage of like someone's hand someone's face bullet holes like a gun like none of it connects to anything it'll literally just like a close-up of like a hand and then like a close-up of Seagal behind cover and then like a gun firing yeah. from a different angle every single time it's just yeah. like oh just get general shootout coverage and we'll stitch it together because we need something so i had i had two things from this shootout that i remembered specifically one that before the shootout starts Seagal and the uh um detective um they're like in this room this very like asian themed room for whatever reason and they're looking at a mirror out into the hallway to see these people coming in to the brothel about to shoot them yeah and i'm thinking it's a mirror if you can see them they can absolutely see you didn't make a whole lot of sense but then also the shootout happens now they're shooting the the door to the room is open and at like is open swung a full 180 degrees and is resting against the wall right Uh after the shootout is like over they show a shot of this door which is riddled with bullet holes i mean not a single shot was shot into that door through the entire scene like the door was not in a position where it would have been shot nor did they show and he it was in the deleted scene. There's just a guy just emptying his clip into the door for no reason. <laughs> like it just didn't. It just didn't make any sense. And then, and I know that gets nitpicky in a movie like this, in a Seagal movie, in a two thousand mid two thousand Seagal movie, especially. But it just it sticks out so easily. And then the other thing that I thought was very funny was that at the end of this, he's shooting the like the last guy, and. <laughs> He's using I I don't know I don't know guns that well. It looks like a 1911, but it could be anything. It doesn't matter. He's shooting, shooting, shooting. They're playing the noise of him shooting, and he shoots, and you can see the slide on his pistol lock back as if he were out of ammunition, and then it plays another shot 
Like the, <laughs> there's the sound of another shot after the slide is already locked back. <laughs> and I, again, I know that's nitpicky, but it was very entertaining. <laughs> I mean, for me, the thing that stuck out is that they just Seagal and the investigator would just keep doing these random like rolls, like these tactical rolls for no reason. Yes. Like they would roll into <laughs> yeah. the line of fire to start shooting instead of staying behind cover. And then so also is, in this yeah. shootout and like any time there was any gunfire exchange beforehand, if there is a very penetrable like wooden thing that Seagal can hide behind, he will hide behind it in this movie. There are multiple times he like flips over a wooden desk to hide behind or like a little yeah. wooden decorative thing. Like he only hides behind stuff that bullets can absolutely go through. No problem. That's, I mean, uh, I hate to say this, I really do, but to give some credit to this movie that it absolutely doesn't deserve, that's a symptom that's, you, you can find that in just about any action movie. Still worth pointing out here. It's very egregious here. That's true. Because he, because it's not even like he I'm sorry, hides I have, I just have to play devil's advocate. No, 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 no that's great. Right. But it's like not even like he hides behind other stuff and some of them happen to be wood. He only hides behind like wooden <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Like, he's just choosing the most bullet-penetrable things possible to hide behind. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I got. It was just really stupid scene. <laughs> it didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense for it to be where it was. It didn't make any sense for it to happen in the first Why place. When it was happening, where it was it happening. It didn't, nothing about it. The, the, the detective, just like, this is the first time she's, like, really on Seagal's side in all of this, and... She's, you know, a part of the Polish police and decides, yes, the only way we can get out of this situation that we're putting ourselves into on purpose is to have a gunfight in this brothel. Her character confuses me endlessly. She's very bad at her job. <laughs> Just incredibly bad at her job. She should have arrested Seagal, like, immediately. I mean, what I was going to say, the whole part that we even skipped over there is there's one bit when Seagal, like, sends her... And the boy, the random kid from the orphanage away, he's like, just drive to the border and keep driving. Don't even stop to go to the bathroom or eats. And oh, then yeah. They, and Why? the kid's just like, what? like, like giving her a look. And she's like, and like, while they're driving away, she's like, okay, we'll turn back for him. So like, we forgot about the whole part that she's just like leaving the country, then comes back to like help Seagal. Like, yeah, I have no idea what she's doing. Today. But there was, there was no reason for them to leave. There was like it, it just you you get a scene. It's the same thing. It, you get a scene of Seagal telling her that she has to leave the country with this kid, but there's no reason for it. It doesn't have it's, to happen. The only they're not after her. No. The only they don't even know she exists. No. The, the only thing that makes sense because this is the actual answer is just she did have a job. She did have a character. She did have a life, and then she meets Seagal and just does what Seagal tells her. <laughs> that's all she exists to do at this point that's the only way it makes sense because that's really just how it was written well like so in this movie they meet at the orphanage uh he gives her a false identity at a murder scene at a she murder scene where he's a... also just talking to like random like giving his number to random children yes uh she discovers that it's a false identity and then just says no okay like, but she, well, because yeah, there a was a strange <laughs> man who showed up at a murder scene giving false information about who he is, and you didn't immediately arrest him and interrogate him. <laughs> like, you didn't question him at all, and actually, you just like left him alone and then asked for his assistance in and this like, investigation defied, for what defied your uncle, who's also in the same police department, in order to give him assistance. Like, it doesn't. 
make any sense. Oh yeah, that's too. But, when they go to do the when they go to have the shootout, is it her uncle that gives them a bag of guns? Yeah. Just like sure. <laughs> just gives them a duffel bag full of guns. <laughs> She's a cop. She can just go get some guns. <laughs> this this movie really I that's it just no, happened. So it just think, happened to me, and it, it no, unfolded think, in front of my eyes. I think, Hans, I just... you were really onto something. Uh, that it's it's just it's just things happening. It's just like a montage of things mm-hmm. that should happen in an action movie. So you have like the scene where the the main guy and the love interest, because she's a detective in this movie, but she really functions as the love interest who just happens to know how to fire a gun. Yeah, pretty much. She does no detective work in this movie. Uh, <laughs> like you said, she's bad at her job. <laughs> she's very bad at her job. So you have the scene where like they arrive in a place, sort of romantically, then discover it's a murder scene, and then it's a trap, and they they have like a shoot. The first shootout is actually with silenced pistols in the dark, and in her house or someone's house, her house, I imagine. But there's a dead one of the mobsters who like works for this crime syndicate is dead in her house. Was it her house? I could not so figure out where they she, were. She was Seagal met her at a bar again. Don't yeah. know why or how or he knew whatever. She was gonna be there. Yeah, he knew he she was going to be there. there. He met her at this bar, walks up to her, says, you look like you've had a little too much to drink. How about you give me your keys and we go wherever you need to go next? Like absolutely not. So she says, okay, gives him her keys. And then they go to this, like, there's no explanation for it. They just go to this place. I thought it was her house, too, until there was a dead mobster on the floor. And I was like, oh, maybe this is... Like sitting at a desk. Okay, but here's another thing, though. Here's another thing that's important, is that they go in, and there's a dead woman on the ground. Oh, was that it? She was shot. Well, because here's what happens. I... Again, I can't remember the exact sequence, who she's supposed to be, what this is supposed to indicate. There's this dead woman on the ground with, like, a bullet hole, like, straight in her forehead. And I thought, I, like, initially thought it was going to be, like, are we doing the same exact thing last time where he goes with the woman <laughs> to her house and there's, like, a previously never mentioned roommate who's dead and then that's, like, the, <laughs> the romance. But then, I don't know, because it's just this dead woman. I think it's very funny. She's laying on the ground with a literal bullet hole in her forehead. And Seagal just goes over and, like, puts his fingers to, like, check her pulse for, like, a, for, like half a second. Wait, it's, really? It's hilarious. Yes. Oh, my I God. missed that entirely. Like, there's a bullet. What? See the bullet hole there. He just goes up and just touches her neck like he's checking her pulse. And I'm like, my guy. <laughs> hold on. Hold I'm on. Hold on. I feel like and I need to go back go and look at this. Shot, sitting at the desk who shot himself. Yeah. So oh. I never explained. I like, was so confused. Did he? So it's. This I, is what I'm let him believe that he like, shoots her in the head and then shoots himself. But I don't know who this woman is. I don't know why he. I don't know what's going on. It's just like stuff that has to happen in this kind of movie. So like there has <laughs> to be the part where one of the henchmen is offed. Yeah. For some reason, and they're left for the the good guy to find. And they didn't have a character to off him, so he just offs himself because. Well, yeah, and like the only time that we've seen this, this guy is like the. Like the organizer, because they have the legitimate front, which is uh, the United Association of Nations or the United like Alliance that, yeah. of Nations or something like that. It's it's very. Is weird. that supposed to be the UN? Is it supposed to be making a comment on something? I assume it's actually know. just one of those how like shady organizations will try to give themselves a legitimate sounding name. I thought I just yeah. assumed it was one of those. That might be giving the movie. You know, oh, which by time. the way, Seagal does for himself like three or four. Oh, times yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, maybe that's why he just recognizes it because he's like, ah, oh, they're doing the same trick I do. 
Yeah, um, he'll just show up to a place and say that he's with some charitable organization and it's completely made up. But no, I think when Seagal um, goes and checks the pulse on the woman with the bullet uh, shot through her forehead is the I, funniest part of the movie for me. I just found it. So it's at 41 minutes, 25 seconds in. I have a screenshot here. We'll, we'll include it. Uh, yeah, we're 41 minutes in when we get our first gunshot in this action movie. I don't, I don't know that he's actually supposed to be checking her pulse. It looks like he's just putting his hand on a dead body for no reason. I assume but, he's checking the pulse. He's just not very good at making it look like he's checking a pulse because he kind of looks like he's doing it tactically, <laughs> yeah. or he thinks he's doing it tactically. Um, but then they do. Then this guy so shot himself. Stupid. There was another guy there that I guess was like doing cleanup, or this was like a trap set to get Seagal and this guy because he tries to kill yeah. them. And then we have again. It feels very much just like oh action movies have that scene where like they get shot and the main character like does field surgery like uses alcohol yeah. and a knife to dig out the bullet wound and it is the most movie action movies have this thing so we it's have to like, have this scene yeah you impossible. have to have the scene where like they they clean the wound with alcohol and then they dig out the bullet and then they burn it to cauterize the wound which by the way do not do that no but Sagal told me don't don't this will cauterize the wound don't attempt it. You cannot do that. Okay. Also, that's not how that works. This is a but common also the thing. bullet is just like resting yeah, on, it's right on top. her shoulder. Well, I was gonna say the thing that's weird to me is this is a very common thing. Like drink the alcohol and use it to disinfect to do the bullet out again. This is the most rote thing. But Sigal just makes yeah. it so creepy because he's just like she's laying on this tape on the desk and he's like making her just drink from the bottle. He's like, drink more. You need to drink more. And he does this like yeah. four times. He's like, you need to drink more. You need to drink more. Like he just keeps mm-hmm. like shoving alcohol into this woman. Before, he like is you very said. creepy throughout this entire movie. No, I. That's like one of the like first notes I have is like, how is Steven Seagal creepier than the pedophile human traffickers? <laughs> like he is creepier than any villain in this movie, and they are literally trafficking like fourteen-year-old women. And like the well, but he the, everything he says is oh, it makes my skin crawl. Are they tra- so they they got a whole mess of of children from this orphanage, but yeah. then for the entire movie, none of them exist except for this no. one. Just, there's the just, one that gets killed in a basement somewhere. and there's arena who's like the main who's basically the MacGuffin of this movie yeah oh yeah no she is yeah and, and again she, like a couple things she and she gets screen time but... because she does these ciphers so the main villains kind of initially sees that and then she like walks into his room and she's like oh i wouldn't defend my king with that like here just move this and i have check and so she's mm-hmm. like pretty good at chess so he just like keeps her around like a, a pet mm-hmm. it's it's really weird it's very strange it's really it's just so weird oh he's like violent toward her but not like creepy Eh, he's pretty creepy not as creepy as seagal seagal still comes off as creepy as seagal which is very strange Um, like the way that seagal interacts with every woman in this movie is very very creepy yeah he starts off every single sentence with solicit do that and the scene where he digs that bullet out after he's done, after he, like, bandages the wound, he's literally, like, they have not had, like, a romance established at this point. He, like, kisses no. her forehead and he goes, you did good. You did good. And, like, kisses her forehead. <laughs> it is, oh, I hate it. <laughs> oh, it's disgusting. Her her wincing in pain in that scene is is not acting. She's actually wincing she's like, oh, in pain because she has to be gross. that close to Seagal. Well, the God next me. scene, she, like, wakes up in her bed and she's in different clothes. And oh, that's right! And he says, "I didn't look." He's like, "I closed my eyes during the whole procedure, or something." Like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Oh, ugh. no! He <laughs> is, this is like this is the first movie where his enemies are like explicitly abducting children, and he still is the creepy one in it. 
Ugh. They do have one scene where Seagal, like, I don't, again, I don't know how he knows to go to this place. <laughs> uh, but oh he my. walks into, like, this empty warehouse with just a bunch of telephones. <gasps> set that was very confusing. Where they're having, like, an auction for the girls. Yeah. yeah. It's like they just all call into this On location to, like, in this empty protect room. their identities and where they're at. Like, some kind of weird setup like Except that. Except you can just do that totally silently. You don't need to have a room. <laughs> where <laughs> if someone walks into that room, they would cool. hear everyone do it. It's just like a Zoom call from hell where, like, everyone's echoing. Okay. We have talked about, in a couple of these episodes, actually, how these movies relate to Taken. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking about Taken throughout this entire movie. Yeah, because everything that this movie does about a movie about human trafficking, Taken does. It's it's in okay. We talked about in previous movies how like oh this movie's a lot like Taken, but it has actually very little to do with Taken. This is basically Taken, basically but just Taken. worse in every single way. The movie is afraid to portray them doing anything really heinous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Like they're not actually shown doing anything particularly violent but then it's very weird because then you end up like having this with strange impression where you're like i almost trust like i somehow trust seagal with this girl less because it just (laughs) feels like he's just been grooming her with these pen pal letters for years (laughs) so he throughout the entire movie all of his interactions with this girl are like really groomer it you're so smart you're so mature for your age with these ciphers and i know you do well he's like teaching her these little skills constantly complimenting Mm -hmm. her talking about how strong she is and how wonderful she is and it's it very much fits it is 100% the groomer behavior it's like it's 100% groomer behavior like it's all the stuff that they teach you like i've gone through um like safe environment and mandatory reporting training many times and it's like all the stuff that they tell you to look out for um that if someone is doing these things you call child safety like immediately uh because this is the kind of behavior that groomers use and it all of that language all of that like film language and all of that like interpersonal language is used to describe seagal and not the literal human traffickers yeah like we are told yeah in the movie because they're like the the main villain he has a boss who shows up for like 30 seconds who says explicitly like he says out loud to the camera we are human traffickers <laughs> like nobody says he doesn't like that plot. term <laughs> but like their yeah. role in the plot is evil but like the be the behavior they display is yes less I'm not gonna say it's that's not like, a, yeah. still definitely bad things but like a they, much, they, things it's very much telling not showing although can i actually say something that it was done for no reason, so it's not actually a thing that the movie was clever about, but there was something that the movie was almost clever about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> something that, weirdly enough, I kind of liked. Um, is So, we established that this gal, uh, the 14-year-old girl, I forget her name, um, that communicated Irena. with the girl. Yes. Um, she, like, knows these ciphers, so, like... She's kind of, it's kind of doing uh, the mummy returns thing where the bad guys, you know, move her, but she can, like, you know, leave these hints. Um, except in the mummy, mummy returns, the kid leaves these, like, incredibly detailed, like, sandcastles of, like, the places that they're going. <laughs> um, in this case, she's, like, leaving, like, weird ciphers. There's, like, she uses deodorant to, like, write on this, like, one way, this mirror to, like, you know, leave a hidden message that you can only see, like, you know, with your breath. She, like, arranges uh, caviar on, like, a tray to, like, leave the cipher. But, yeah. 
Something that I kind of enjoy that they established very early on, that they established with that first message she's leaving. So she's writing this message in the deodorant on this mirror. And then there's the camera does this move, like the staging and the shot of this, like, did not deserve to go as hard as it did. Like they actually did this pretty cool <laughs> thing where it shows her right in the mirror and the camera pulls up and you kind of go over and have this view where like, you know, from the, you can tell that there's no ceiling. So the camera can like move over the wall, like, you know, on the sets mm-hmm. and it does this neat move where it like pulls over, it goes up and then you see there's like a guy on the other side and it goes over to his side and you see it's like a one way mirror. So he can like see through like what she's writing on this mirror. I don't know like why the room was like built like this, you know, in the function of like real life, but just for the, you know, the artifice of the movie, it does this like actually super weirdly good like kind of camera like or at least interesting <laughs> camera move to establish mm-hmm. that like he's seen her do this the whole time but then he like lets it stay and then like later yeah. on she like they're at this fancy dinner party that Seagal's like has to get invited to that he inexplicably gets in with no explanation he just finds a random old oh, guy oh no there get... is an explanation okay. for this and this is where I think I this is one thing that I really want to talk about how he gets into the fancy dinner party at the end of the movie but continue okay um but like she says like I need to eat some caviar they're like back in the kitchen she's like I need to eat some caviar or I'm gonna scream so like okay eat the caviar so she eats his caviar and then spends like three minutes like arranging this caviar <laughs> into a pattern and no like they obviously they see her do this and then she sets a napkin like over it mm-hmm. and like the bad guy is like keep you know, save that one make sure the waiters don't like put that caviar tray out and like there's like yeah. literally a bad guy standing there and she spells out this hint that says like it's a trap so and the bad guy stands there and, like a waiter goes to grab it and he's like no grab this one so they like protect like there is no way this would ha- this clue would have gotten us a golf the bad guys did not interfere and make sure it got to him yeah so then like they literally have, like, the bad guy tells the waiter when to take it out. Like, ah, oh, bring this special tray to our special guest. And they just hold it in front of him and show him this clue that says, yeah. like, it's a trap and then walk away. So the thing that I liked is that, like, because there's this in kind of, like, it's not a genre, but there's a thing in fiction often of, like, the precocious, like, child, like, you know, a ser- yeah. think of, like, you know, a series of unfortunate events or whatever, where, like, this kid is just, like, so clever that they can, like, outsmart the adults, like, leave these hints or whatever. It's very Artemis Fowl. It's very, you know, serious unfortunate events type thing. And a lot of times fiction does this because, like, kids like to read that kind of thing where, like, kids are smarts. Yeah. But I like that it does this, like, <laughs> the bad guys see through it immediately. They're like, this dumbass, ki- like, even a smart kid is still dumber than most adults. They're like, she's leaving obvious clues behind for the guy. Yeah. We don't even need to know what the clue says. We don't need to translate. We just, like, if we don't want the guy to follow us, we just get rid of her clues because they're not very good. And, they, like, even... It's not even like, you know, just because we found out they're not good. Like, that caviar thing wouldn't have worked at all. So I kind of thought that's fun. Like, oh, this kid just thinks they keep leaving subtle hints, but we, like, know every time. But then they intentionally make sure Seagal does it. But, like, the reason why it's not, like, a clever thing that the movie's doing is because it's for literally no reason. Like, the bad guy just lets him know it's a trap because, like, it's more... He doesn't even say, like, ooh, I want the thrill of the hunt or anything. He just, like, does it for no... But they could have at least said, like, I want to know what he does like i there could have been a they reason could have set a trap for him yeah by t- telling him that it's a trap like but he just like or, gets away he just kind of just like walks around or, for a bit or, and then leaves there so this they, is my, my wait, wait wait wait. let me have my aaron moment let me have my aaron moment this would be my like aaron rewrite is i see this nugget that i like and it would be that they either use it advantageously for a trap that they more clearly establish that like the bad guy's toying with him like i think this nugget could nuggets don't bloom <laughs> This seed could blossom <laughs> into, like, I would just rewrite it. So this, you know, the bad guys realizing, like, the kid's ploy is, like, an, a plot point that makes more sense and kind of has more, you know, cleverness to it. 
time for the real Aaron rewrite. So here we yeah. go. <laughs> so, you're not better than me. So there's a screw scene. you, Zach. Yeah, screw there's you, a scene Zach. Earlier in the movie, the first time Irena plays chess with the main bad guy, we see the the weird, like, legitimate guy who does all the record keeping, who uh, ends up like uh, he gets taken out. He's the like the bait the bait in the trap that needs no bait because it's just her house where we have our first shootout uh, where we talked about like taking the bullet out and cauterizing the wounds like because that scene just has to happen that guy who dies like the henchman that's taken out there he is in charge of legitimate operations it seems like the legitimate side of this operation uh and he's like gathering all this paperwork and stuff except all the paperwork is done in code so that we know for a fact that in this movie the main bad guy knows ciphers and he's interested in ciphers and we know that he knows whatever napoleon bonaparte has to do with ciphers because it's at the mention of napoleon that he's motivated to kill the woman who's in charge of the uh, orphanage and so in a different version of this movie not only would he have known that Irena is leaving ciphers but he would be able to decipher the ciphers and know what they say and then be able to plan traps accordingly so the final like caviar cipher the reason that he okay in a better version of this movie the reason that he gives the caviar cipher to Seagal intentionally is because he knows exactly what it says and then he can plan around it and plan a proper trap not just a general, like, because they don't even know what Seagal looks like when, once we get to this party. That, well, like, they the, do then inexplicably the know what he looks like. Hmm? They, in the, they end up inexplicably knowing what it looks like. I don't know how, but they do know it's him. Uh, because at this reason. point, the CSA is in league mm, with them. Okay, okay. And so there's a CSA agent, his former partner, his former black partner, because in every Seagal movie, he has to have a black partner. Or have. And in this one, it's his former black partner who is now trying to kill him. Uh, like points him out in the crowd and so they know who he is uh, and so in a better version of this movie the bad guy would have deciphered the caviar cipher and then either modified it or planned around it to plan an actual trap that he would have been let into by the caviar cipher okay. because we know it's already mentioned in the in the text of the film that the bad guy like he's interested in ciphers and like yeah. he knows how well, to he was the one that things. said something about napoleon like he knew what yeah, that yeah. meant Okay, you're not wrong, but I do think the I viewer did, like, doesn't. But I think I did. <laughs> yeah. I, I think for that rewrite, I did like eighty or ninety percent of it, and then you you know added the little juice on top of my offense. Yeah, you didn't I, completely you steal know. my thunder, despite how hard you tried. I'm sure you'll have another rewrite. You know that's even better after this. Thanks. Let me have my one. I'll give it to you. Oh, oh just unfortunately, the movie's not that good not that smart and no, it uh, they, do for no reason. they they know that there's a cipher hidden in this in the caviar tray and they intentionally give it to Seagal which alerts him to the trap and then he leaves and then they chase yeah. after him but they're too late so but like my thing about a lot of these movies is like why bother having <laughs> Yes, that's the, every single one of these movies. Stop. Why bother? Just full stop. Think about these movies, why bother? Damn, that's all you need to say. No. If you're going to make this movie, why bother making the villain like uh, an enthusiast with ciphers and stuff? Like, why do that if you're not going to use it at all? Like, if he doesn't use any of that to decipher Man. any of these secret messages or anything at any moment. Why build up the, uh, I just need time to change character and not bring him back as an ally at okay, the end of the one movie. one of these for every movie. <laughs> what does it take to change? This is a constant. <laughs> okay, <Why>? but... <laughs> yeah. 
I'm going to pivot. One thing I really wanted to talk about this movie, because I think we see it indicative of Seagal's life, is that, so this movie takes place in Poland, and there's a big fancy party that he needs to get into. <laughs> and the way that he gets an invite into this party <laughs> is he goes to his friends at the Russian embassy, <laughs> and while sitting in front of a picture of Vladimir Putin, he pulls strings with the Russian bureaucracy and the russian ambassador to get an invite to this fancy party in poland i must have completely spaced i do not remember that at all i believe you it happened but i, I must have just like completely like it is fascinating it's so it's so entertaining in the text of the film makes no sense nope in the text of like the the seagal lore when did you of like who this with? man is i was not expecting the russian fascination or Russian <laughs> fetishism to occur this early, actually. Just the the, the picture of Putin hanging on the wall in the background. <laughs> for those listening who do not know, Steven Seagal is a, at least on paper, a close personal friend of uh, President of the Russian Federation, Vladimir Putin. Uh, currently lives in Russia and is a <laughs> cultural ambassador for the Russian Federation. <laughs> He loves Russia. Oh man! Well, and he—I he, do not know how a Polish film crew. I think he very specifically loves Vladimir, Pu- uh, Vladimir Putin more than he okay. loves Russia. That makes sense. I will grant you that. I think it, it is more about Vladimir Putin than about Russia. But I do not know how he convinced a Polish film crew to have this scene well or maybe at this point because i'm trying to figure it out i'm trying to see when they became friends i I can't i haven't figured out exactly when that is but maybe it's more steven seagal starts like this kind of thing happens and like and like maybe this is the start of it maybe it's not that seagal loves russia so he made him put in the scene where he like hangs out in front of the picture of putin and like gets this connection with russia maybe it's like this kind of thing happens in some of these movies and that's Mm -hmm. what like starts his relationship with vladimir putin that's maybe i don't know we're lore building here i'm we're we're trying to peek through the the work to the auteur you know who is steven seagal and i think this is the introduction of a very important part of modern seagal and that's his relationship with vladimir putin yeah, I really don't see at least a public Putin connection until like 2014-ish. Okay, so it'll be another decade before yeah. we start seeing So that's what that. I'm saying. Maybe this is like starting to like the breadcrumbs. But that this is the its... first film in which we see such a yeah. like a really deep connection with Russia. Because he, like, he pulls strings at the embassy because he has a close personal friendship with like one of the ambassadors <laughs> who works at this embassy. <laughs> and he asks for this favor while directly next to his head in the frame is almost the same size as, as Seagal's head in the frame. A picture, like an official state photograph of Vladimir Putin. I somehow it's, I just completely like mind pocketed the scene. I, it, I, it, I was bewildered. I was as, transfixed. As soon as I saw it, I just couldn't stop. I couldn't stop laughing. I was like... It is it is like the metatextual <laughs> cherry on top of this terrible terrible cake. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, real quick though, while we're talking about the party, yeah. 
Why? Because there, you have to have an, a scene in an action movie where there's like a party and the good guy infiltrates it and has to be all sneaky and he gets to wear a tux. He's trying right, to have but... his Batman Begins Raj al Ghul encounter here. I guess. It's and like you know what? And I know that's the answer and you're you're definitely right. And that's that has to be the answer. But also, why? Because this... There are <laughs> Hans, if we ask questions like that, the movie doesn't exist at all in the first place. But there, <laughs> narratively, there, why is there a party? It's, Who got invited to this party? Who is throwing it? Does everybody here know that it's being thrown by human traffickers? Like there are lots of questions about this that don't yeah, get answered. Because point out, the reason that this scene exists is because in this kind of movie, you need to have the scene where the good guy puts on a tux and he goes to a fancy party and eats caviar. I think to truly just, explain so... how like insane this is, it's not even just the human traffickers are at this party. They literally like have their like it. It whole, it, she's like in the basement of where this party is happening. Yeah. yeah. This is on their property or they brought their human trafficker victims with them to hold hostage here. This scene happened in, uh, you know, Batman Begins. It was in National Treasure. Like every... I mean, this is in, also, this is like it's gotta be taken an impossible movie. when they're having the auction at the end. When they're having their you know, human taken. trafficker auction and they take, you know, Liam Neeson out of the basement to kill him. At, like you have to have this scene in the quote unquote like adventure action film globe trotting action film that takes place in eastern europe yeah like that, that it has to happen <laughs> and so just... for some reason explain to no one the human traffickers throw a fancy soiree <laughs> can we talk about the final fight for a little bit sure <laughs> why not sure yeah go for it we got <laughs> I, I gotta stop asking questions. <laughs> yeah, we're we're approaching. This might change in the edit, but right, we're starting to approach the runtime of the movie itself. We're gonna go a little longer <laughs> oh, than the gosh. movie. Um, I think that should be a goal going forward. Is that we should, shouldn't exceed the runtime of the movie. movie. Oh, that's gonna be hard. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe it'll get easier. Maybe we'll just be like, yep, it's the same thing for the fifteenth time. Okay, <laughs> see you next week. <laughs> um, but in this case, so we had just idiots running around doing nothing for like an hour. We had one reasonably length, like, you know, not going to say it's good, but like the shootout you should have. And then it gets to the At end. At least it got my adrenaline pumping for half a second. Yeah. We, they <laughs> Something used, was going on on screen. They <laughs> used blanks and squibs. That's all I can say. They spent some money, some part of their budget on like blanks or gun special effects. Um, then they get to the end. It's like Seagal and the main guy. And they like have their guns yeah. point at each other. Seagal immediately recognizes the gal. And they're like, they, you know, of course they do the thing. They both agree to put their guns down. And then it's just very like we've seen this before but this one just was very weird to me because they put the guns down and they're like okay let's just go beat each other to death in the other room i guess because they just like leave yeah. that room and start walking away but like because they don't want to do it in front of the girl i would just but then she the follows then, them and watches it anyway <laughs> but then they're not like walking like next to each other or anything like seagal's walking like a couple paces ahead of the guy they're just like leaving this room but like seagal's like not looking over shoulder at all so the guy grabs a sword and like goes to cut seagal and then like for a while there, Seagal, like, doesn't even have his own sword. He's, like, trying to get a sword. But then it's just very weird, because they have this whole thing where, like... What is it? The... For some reason, he, like, drops the sword or something. For some reason, the guy starts running away. The main villain, they, like, have this confrontation. The main villain, like, runs into another room. But he's, like, just prancing out of the room, like, down these steps. Just, like, <laughs> you know, skipping. And then he just kind of moves off screen to the side a bit. Mm -hmm. Seagal is not running after him. Seagal just kind of walks after him and then the dude jumps from the side of the like it's i feel like an 
insane person describing this because the guy just like <laughs> prances down the steps, you know, la di da di da, jumps to the side a little bit, like five feet. So Gal just kind of walks down the steps. Just out of frame. The guy hops and just like jumps onto him and like bear hugs him. <laughs> For a bit, and like kind of elbows Seagal, and then the dude runs away again, and then they get the swords again, but they're no longer like fencing, like this all of a sudden becomes like a samurai showdown, and they do this hole where they like stand staring at each other, like this is the final blow, they have one blow at each other, and they charge, and they like clang in the middle, and like, you know, have their one hit, and there's a hawk screech, an anime for a second. And, they, and then they just stand there, and they do the classic like... Stand, 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 tension. Ooh, see the blood. Ooh, he's got, the bad guy got hit. And then, yeah, like, one of them falls over. It's so, and then Seagal just has like the weirdest, but then he like, even after the guy's dead, he just holds this super weird stance until <laughs> the girl comes and is like, you know, hugs him or whatever. Like, you know, the day is saved. It just, it is the weirdest fight because they don't just like start fighting each other. They just kind of like run like walk around and run away from each other for a while before doing like a samurai quick draw it's hard to describe because i just don't uh, know i just I don't want know how to, to describe point it out to everybody that the uh classic uh tv anime naruto started in 2002 two years before mm. this movie. <laughs> okay but actually <laughs> remind me this was something i hinted at towards the beginning when you mentioned like you know the armor and stuff like the decorations so i was confused by this looking at it the director of this film uh Leong Pochi. Pochi Leong. Yeah. I don't know if I said that correctly. I'm sorry. A British Chinese film director. Um, but he uh, ha- has in some of his films, I guess this is a recurring thing, he has made like over Akira Kurosawa um, references. Like he's made a movie oh. that is like referencing Rashomon deeply and other similar samurai okay. films. So they just made him do a Steven. I get my guess is they made him do this like Steven Seagal, like eastern european like action thriller and then in yeah. the end he's just like no i want to i want to do a samurai movie and it comes out <laughs> of absolutely nowhere and it's not very well yeah. done and i don't want to say that this guy's a bad director i haven't seen his other stuff maybe his other stuff's better you know admittedly he has the you know the albatross of seagal draped over his shoulders <laughs> but i was just so confused why it became a samurai movie at the end but as far as i can tell i think it's just because that's the type of movies the director of this movie likes and those movies are just actually getting to direct those movies yeah. is just out of his reach. So this is the best that he can do. I honestly, I couldn't even parse the the whole samurai scene because I was too busy looking at the like uh, quick shots between the bad guy, Seagal, and then both of their swords just back and forth between them. And in every other shot, the sword had blood on it. And then the next shot, the sword didn't have blood on it. And it went back and forth, like almost one for one. Yeah, I think <laughs> something. I think something worth pointing out is that when we watch Mark for Death, I know I made a comment back there about how this is like the worst like sword fight I've ever seen in a movie. I take that crown away, Mark for Death. Sorry, <laughs> it is just out of reach for you now um, because this movie has weapons. <laughs> well, okay. So actually, I'm gonna say a thing. Do it. I watched a video about this fight scene. I watched what? like really there is a there's like a, this a, fight scene? a critical analysis about this. Is yes. that like the the featurettes so, on the Criterion release of this movie I or something? I watched uh like a, a Hema guy. Oh okay, historical European yeah, martial artist. Yeah. Uh, he did like a breakdown of this fight. Um, Scalagrim, look him up. 
I'm not a huge fan of his presentation, but every now and again he puts out a good video. And I guarantee he's the <laughs> only person who has covered this fight from this movie. But the, I think the the title of the video, and I'm not going to get this right, is something along the lines of "Good Sword Fight in a Terrible Movie." Mm, okay. Um, and so he like goes through the sword fight almost blow by blow, and like the beginning of the sword fight trash. Like when <laughs> the main villain has like a fencing foil, and it's the one time that Seagal bleeds in this movie. Yeah, he gets like a little scratch on him because he just gets Seagal's like dodging slowly by just like shifting left and right, just like leaning left and right to like avoid these slashes, which are very obviously not going to hit him. Um, and then somehow he disarms the the bad guy, uh, and then so the they switch swords like partway through, and the bad guy picks up like a saber. And Seagal gets a messer, which is just a big knife, basically, which looks kind of like a katana, but isn't. The hilt is very different, and it doesn't have quite the curve to it, and it's heavier. Um, but it but is like enough a... that it could be like a mall ninja katana. Like some dude could have bought this on Amazon and be like, oh yeah, this is a yeah. katana. It's been folded a thousand times, so it's the sword. It's, it's, an, it's an actual historical sword. It's a German style of sword. I don't think so. Looks that. aesthetically kind of like a katana, <laughs> just like the hussar armor looks aesthetically kind of like samurai armor. <laughs> uh, so we're like using European analogs for Asian culture. Like, just find the thing which aesthetically looks closest, but in reality has nothing to do with that, and we'll just use that. But this guy who knows a whole lot more about historical fencing and things that i do said that a couple of these exchanges are actually pretty good like it seems like seagal has some history he theorized that seagal has like some history in sword fighting and fencing like he knows or at least some fight coordinator on set potentially yeah someone on set knows how these swords are used now for most of the fight they're not using them in that way and they're just kind of doing nonsensical things like attacking each other's swords and just like flailing like holding, about like at points holding their swords out to the side and the other person hitting that sword not aiming for like the body very like, intentionally <laughs> trying to hit the sword like very anime kind of sword yeah. fighting but very every now and again you'll get netflix an exchange anime. Hmm? like a netflix <laughs> very anime? netflix live action adaptation of anime yeah uh but every now and again you'll get an exchange where they're using like actual sword techniques they're very brief but they do exist so someone in the room knew how to use these i mean i could believe that i would like i wouldn't be surprised if like the person they hire had hema training and just use some of those techniques mm-hmm. well and then so that reminds me of going all the way back to because i just let because okay dear listener you're gonna get a little bit of how the sausage is made we are like way ahead of our like release schedule and recording these so i just listened to our episode for uh under siege 2 dark territory today <laughs> um Great episode. I'm going to pat us all on the back here for a second. Uh, it was a great episode. Uh, very funny. I laughed out loud a couple times. Uh, <laughs> We're but very in that episode, we talked about the fight choreographer, Clint, uh, <coughs> and how he absolutely knows what he's doing. He was the fight choreographer for The Matrix. Still waiting on that apology, but the fights Hans. in that movie. Huh? Still waiting on that apology, Hans. Still, Hans still owes an apology to Mr. Clint. But he definitely knows what he's doing. <laughs> Like he he was the fight choreographer on the Matrix, 
And yet the fights in that movie, like all the melee fighting, sucks. And so we come here, and it seems that someone in the room did know how these swords are used historically. And like does know how these swords can be used in an effective way, in a way that makes sense on screen. And then that just didn't happen. <laughs> well, uh, to, to the same... Uh... The same reasoning that Zach said in episode six. Now that we have just listened to it, uh, you, there, you got to work with what you got. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine someone knew what they were doing, but they just couldn't quite get Seagal to <laughs> do what he needed to do. That's the theory. I don't see a specific sword fight coordinator of any kind. So there is Dion Christoph is the stunt mm-hmm. double and lead. Um, oh my man, why do you do this to me? Rizar Janikowski is the stunt coordinator, and Marek Solek is a stunt performer, so I, I'm i going to give it to one of them. That would be my guess. One of them. That's everyone that's under stunts. At least on IMDb. Uh, so I I really don't think there's much. I have a few more notes, but I they're not worth it. Um, I don't know if there's a whole lot more to talk about in, this, in the actual movie. Uh, I was going to... Like, in, in, in all of our reviews here, we've gone to, like, what did the cast go on to do? There's only, like, one guy. Steven Seagal went on to do quite a bit after this movie. Steven Seagal went on to do quite a bit after this <laughs> I, I think that was kind of downhill for him from here on out. Um, there is one guy in this movie that I vaguely recognized, and that's the main bad guy, played by Matt Schulz, who was in... Blade, Blade 2, The Transporter, and Fast and the Furious. And then he did this movie. <laughs> um, and then just did... He was in one episode of Weeds. He was in Fast Five. So good for him. Uh, but once he he was in some movies that I would think, you know, like if he was in the first Fast and Furious, The Transporter, Blade, and Blade 2. Uh, so pretty good, and then he did this, and then Although, went to TV for a while, and then some movies that I'd never heard of. Something I think that is pretty funny is that he is in Blade and Blade Two, but a different character in each one. He's not the same <laughs> really? character. He plays Crease in Blade One and Chupa in Blade Two. Huh. I haven't seen Blade Two in a while, so I couldn't tell you exactly what that role does. I just actually watched Blade, the first Blade somewhat recently, but I still couldn't tell you what role he plays there. Ooh, and then uh, Robbie Gee, Robbie G. I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your last name, Robbie. I'm sorry. Um, who played? He was one of the government agents that was out to kill Seagal. He played his former partner. Um, he's actually been in some stuff. Uh, so before he did this, oh gosh, oh he was in Underworld. Yeah, he did Underworld immediately before this. Wow. Immediately after this, he was a voice in World of Warcraft. Oh. And then two years after this, he was in Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men's Chest. Yeah. Um, then later so he... in Paddington 2, second best movie of all time. So he's he seems to be doing all right. Yeah. That's good. And then, oh, he was in Zack Snyder's Justice League. I am curious if he, was he just in Zack Snyder's Justice League or was he like in both? Like, was he in the original uh... Justice League and also Zack Snyder's like cut or... IMDB just says Zack Snyder's hmm. Justice League. Okay, sure. Sure. Right, so I bet so he was demanding the Snyder right. cut on Twitter for a while. <coughs> oh, sorry. You okay? <coughs> oh. 
it ruined Breathe. my <laughs> ruined my cool thing. <laughs> Breathe. <laughs> I was just gonna say a bit. Oh boy, I bet he was demanding the Snyder cut on Twitter for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that was not because of the snacking. Let me just say, I just don't know what happened. Oh. So what happens I'm when you get sound old, like folks. this for the rest of the pod. <laughs> uh, voice built for radio. You're listening to K432, where we only have the best voices. Now back to Imagine Dragons. <laughs> okay, I'm better, I think. Uh, and then also, so we have, um, I mean, pretty much everyone else in the acting crew. I mean, a lot of the them are actors. admittedly Polish or other Eastern Polish European, Eastern European actors. European, so... which many of them could be doing really great right now. And we and just made I'm them. very sorry. I just don't know anything about Polish cinema. So I, I can't tell you whether they're doing great or not. And I think from now on, that's how it's going to be. I would not be surprised if there's a lot of that, yeah. Um, and I, I don't know enough about foreign like media markets to tell you whether or not these people are successful. Honestly, uh, everybody... Hollywood. Everybody... Is, <laughs> Pollywood? <laughs> yeah, Polish Hollywood, yeah. <laughs> everybody, aside from Seagal, did a did a pretty good job. Like there wasn't any any like outright bad acting that I could recall. Aside from maybe the kids, but they weren't, you know, yeah, they're, but they're kids. kids. There, there is a do? moment that's pretty funny when Sakal is like dangling it out a window and he's like, Tell me what you know, and the guy doesn't say anything. And he says, Tell me what you know, and the guy doesn't say anything. And he says, Wrong answer. And he lets go <laughs> for the guy, and in the next shot, the dude is like 180 degrees, like flips like <laughs> head first, falling down, ah, waving his arms, and that was pretty funny. I don't think And Sagal isn't fault. in the window. He's not in the window, but the guy falls. Um so that I, I'm I not gonna say that was bad acting, but that was kind of that was the funny. That was the, for some reason of all the acting moments that stuck out to me. That was the one that stuck out to me the most. Yeah, well, I just and I think a lot of the stuff that I might consider <coughs> like not very good acting comes from the fact that everyone in this film is forced to speak English, and it is very obviously for many of these characters not their first language. Mm, and even when fair. you have scenes between two people who have no reason to be speaking English. Like, they're both Polish or whatever, and there's nobody around who would need them to speak English. They speak English anyway, which we've seen in a couple of these movies now. Well, to be yeah. fair, like Avatar The Way of Water, we're just, we've been around the Polish language for so much that it just sounds like English to us anymore, and we don't need the higher <laughs> subtitles. <laughs> um, do you have yet. any quotes that you liked from this movie, Aaron? I actually do. I actually do. Oh, no. So, early in the movie... Oh no, is that um, what you said? <laughs> I said oh no. Early so because I have a couple quotes that I thought in a different movie this could have been a fine line. It could have been good. Uh so early in the movie when the government people who are trying to like retire Seagal show up at his cabin, one of the guys like compliments the place. He says, Oh, this is a really nice place you have here. And Seagal says, you know, I built this cabin with my own money. <laughs> okay, but he didn't do that pause that makes it funny. He just says it completely straight. I built, you know, I built this place with my own money. You're right. I remember that now. <laughs> and then much later in this movie, he says to the love interest slash bad detective, aside from all the joking, these people are very serious. <laughs> 
It almost sounds like one of those like, Yogi Berra quotes, like the, <laughs> like the Ringo star, like the Ringoisms or whatever. Which, like, in a in an action comedy or yeah. something, like in a different kind of movie, that could have been funny. I could actually see that being in like a police squad thing, like you know, except for yeah. all the joking, you're pretty serious. <laughs> I built you, this place with my own money, money, money. <laughs> Um, the only one I can't remember the exact quote but it's during the shootout sequence he Seagal and the detective kill everybody else and there's just his old partner left and he yells at him and says something along there they're in a uh, I have have the exact quote so I can say it you do just go ahead and read it because I'll butcher it they're in a brothel when they say this I think what's worth pointing out also is we've talked about how Seagal changes his accents this is where, <laughs> uh, I mean, to be fair, in this one, he changes accents because half of it is just like an impersonator trying to do his voice. This is where <laughs> Billy Ray Lansing becomes Southern. He has not been yeah. from the Southeast region of the United States, but now he is purely for the purposes of saying, you're playing a whore's game. You ain't nothing but a whore. Now you know what happens to whores, don't you? Whores always get f- don't they? But he says it with this like weird Southern accent. And yeah, that was mine. Yep, that's yeah, that's what I'm gonna have to go with because it was so, it was so out of place. <laughs> right, and I'm just like, dude, read the room. You're literally don't disrespect the, the the women of the night while you are here in their place of work, <laughs> shooting it up. You're just shooting this guy that you used to be buddies with, I guess. Oh, this isn't a quote, but there's one moment when the poli- the detectives just like randomly invite Seagal in and let him help solve the case when they have this like blurry picture of one of the victims and they're trying to like yes. unblur it and Seagal just comes in oh. and just starts like typing onto the keyboard and I literally took a note saying um just type until the like they're like we can't get it unblurred but of course he can by typing I, I put in my notes, just type until the image becomes clearer. Hans is going to have a field day with this. So I'm kind of surprised he didn't it. mention this at any point. I hated it so much because I wish I wish I had the line because he says something too. And it's not him saying it. It's the, you know, yeah. whatever voice actor they got to portray him in the in the edit says something. That's, and they say it's like a simple matter of focus and decomposition or something yeah. like that. I, those aren't the actual terms they use, but they, that's what he says. It's a simple matter of X and Y, and then all of a sudden, like the blurry image becomes perfectly clear, and that's not how that works. It's not even remotely how that works. This is, that's that's even worse than like what you see in CSI. I was gonna say this is the NCIS two people typing on the keyboard like moment of the movie. Hack uh, faster. Hack hacking progress. Oh no, they're intercepting our firewalls. We're out the GUI. <laughs> it's just oh, it's so egregious. Um, I think, yeah, those are my, I don't know. This, this is a bad like, movie out of reach, more like out of mind. Cause I completely forgot it. Um, I give this one star. <laughs> it's still on my ranks list. It's second to last, um, because ticker is still last because this is still technically <laughs> like, it does feel like they didn't film all the, the scenes they needed for it to make sense. But I think all of the footage used is not footage ticker. shot from this movie. And so it has to be better than ticker. One star. It's <laughs> such a credit to the, even though this is a terrible, terrible, terrible movie. It's still miles above Ticker. It's just a credit to how bad that one was. I would say this is above Ticker by default. Like <laughs> by default, because at least, as far as I can tell, all the footage from this movie was filmed That's for it. this movie. Out of reach, more like out of gas. Because uh, this movie's going. Nowhere. Oh, what would you watch instead? Uh, watch oh. Taken, because it's it is this movie, but just better. Um, I think retroact like looking back on Taken, it's not like an incredible movie, 
I really liked it when I first watched it, but like thinking back on it, like it's fine. You know, it's okay. You know, the this way. is hot garbage. So if you just want to watch a version of this movie that is actually like <laughs> good and what to watch, and you'll have a good time watching it, just watch Taken. You know the way you like mentioned to your dad at the start of this, like above the law, and he goes like above the law, awesome. Yeah, and you're just like, no, this movie's trash. I think actually Taken is gonna be like that for like my kids. That my kids are gonna be like, yeah, I don't know, I saw this like. This movie, like, Taken? I'm just like, Taken, Liam Neeson, I have a particular set of skills. And they're like, Dad, just stop. What the? Oh, did you know it was, like, made by a pedophile? And I'm like, yeah, but we were okay with that at the time, I guess. But you didn't, but you weren't there. You weren't there. Um. Uh, oh, I asked my dad about Under Siege 2. <laughs> oh, did really? You? I did. Um. Well, wait, I, no, you said that in the in the episode, I remember, because you said his biggest problem with it was that it was so unrealistic. That was the first Under Siege. That's Under Siege 1. That Under Siege 1. Oh, that was, oh, no, you're right. I asked okay. about Under Siege 2. No, you're right, you're right, A couple right. days ago. Uh, no, yesterday. Because I, I told him about this whole project that we've been working on. A couple days uh, ago. We started releasing episodes, and he says, are you having fun? I'm like, yeah, I'm having fun. Because uh, he's a good so. dad. Um, and I said, but uh, our three listeners have told us that uh one of their favorite parts is hearing your opinions on these movies and <laughs> he thought true. that was funny uh, <laughs> we need the we need like that the dad was funny. and so i said what did you think of under siege 2 and he said it was okay not as good as above the law but uh but uh bogosian made that movie and i was like yeah under okay. siege 2 i like disagree with the not as good as above the law part but you know, i'd agree yeah. <laughs> in general yeah it's a solid assessment I'm with Dad on this one. Yeah, it was like Bogosian carried that entire film. I'm like, oh, yeah, Dad, he did. Yeah, that's awesome. That. And I'm like, I like applaud my dad's memory. I don't think he's seen that movie since it came out. Yeah, no, that is really <laughs> impressive. I can't remember movies we watched last week, and the fact that he can like make that pull from decades ago is legitimately impressive. And can tell you like the name of the actor who mm-hmm. had like the standout performance. In yeah, this I mean, movie. even yeah. the week we watched that movie, I'm still just calling him Arno from Uncut Gems. Like I, yeah, that's what I put him in all of the like taglines and everything. I said, "quote unquote Arno" was how I wrote it because that's how you described him the entire podcast. Go watch uh, Under Siege 2 instead of this movie. That's my second recommendation. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow, this is the first time we've recommended a Seagal film. A Seagal for, like, movie. Yeah. It feels almost like against the rules. <laughs> I'm um, acting above the law here. <laughs> the movie I would recommend, um, when I first started watching that scene where he's like dangling the guy out the window, it's like this fight in like a dim apartment and then like the guy, he gets thrown out the window. It made me think a bit of the opening of, this is the second Zack Snyder pull of the episode, um, Zack Snyder's Watchmen. Like I was just immediately mm. thinking to myself, a comedian has died in Poland tonight. Um, so I would maybe say watch that, like the extended director's cut. It's a very interesting movie because it's somehow literally like straight comic to storyboard to movie directly adapts that at adapts directly adapts the source material while also carrying over literally like zero of the theme or meaning of the source material. It's like genuinely impressive at how surface level of an adaptation it is. (laughs) And I don't even mean that like sarcastically or anything. It's like, if you are interested in the way media is adapted, it's like important to watch this one. Um, It's fascinating versus like the HBO Watchmen, which like somehow like carries over all of the themes without like any of like the saturation of the first movie Um, of the first of the graphic novel. 
Um, also, because of just this kind of dramatic chess thing that I was running through, if you want to watch something else that's better, that involves precocious orphan gals and orphanages being orphans and being like pretty good at chess, <laughs> you should watch Queen's Gambit. Oh yeah, Queen's Gambit was very good. And precocious gals in orphanages being orphans. <laughs> and also because you talked about it earlier, got my mind thinking about it. You should watch. And then if you if you take my recommendation, dear listener, please reach out to me. I will. I'm not even joking. If you are like a random like stranger on the internet, please reach out to me. If you watch uh, Seventh Seal for another like dramatic movie with I a dramatic chest storyline. I will talk about Seven Seal with like any person. So if you, I will talk about Seven Seal right after we finish recording this episode. So instead of watching Out of Reach, watch. <laughs> I still can't remember the title. Watch Seven Seal and then just like hit me up on Letterboxd or whatever so we can talk about Seven Seal. Hans, what would you recommend? Uh, ooh, Clerks the animated series because you can get through all. <laughs> yes, you can get through all six of yes. them before this movie response. would be over. <laughs> And it's very good. <laughs> it has nothing to do with this. I just know I, I, I told Hans he should watch Clerks the Animated Series and he watched it recently. And I'm so glad there's one it's, other human on the planet who loves Clerks the Animated Series as much as I It's do. so good. It's so good. And it just like random tidbits in there for the smallest, like tiniest of bit parts. You have uh, Brian Cranston and uh, oh, there were so many other Alec people. Baldwin and Alec Godfrey. Baldwin's in there. Really? Yeah, yeah, Gilbert Godfrey just out of nowhere. He voices I, Patrick I, Swayze. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't re- I didn't realize. I didn't realize. Like I, I had it in my head. I thought, man, that sounds a lot like Alec Baldwin. Man, that sounds a lot like uh, Brian Cranston. And then Gilbert Godfrey comes in as Patrick Swayze. And I was like, hold on, that is. You can't. There's no way that that's not Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> and the thing that is worth mentioning is they have not just that. Yeah, that voice cast being in an animated TV series would be interesting enough. This is for a six-episode TV series that was canceled after two episodes had aired. <laughs> That's what in like the year two thousand or something. That's what's wild. Yeah, two thousand. It's Welcome very to good. Jerks the clerks fan cast. <laughs> uh, Welcome to uh oh, hold on. There's got to be a, a clerks. Oh no, the first clerks reference that popped in my head is very problematic. I can't make that one. Yeah, let's not do that. Uh, and on that very problematic note, let's end oh, this wait, episode wait, of wait, very problematic to movie. This, wait, on that to, bombshell, wait, wait, wait. we welcome can to, end. This podcast would be great if it wasn't for the listeners. A Clerks the Animated Series fan cast. Okay, there it is. That means one of us has to die. It's like a Mario Party minigame. <laughs>